um, about that, about uh, people being able to, to, to be sure of what is real. Now, with a lot of those things, including some of the things going on in America, actually, it doesn't have a, a big impact, does it, on our day-to-day lives, what is actually true and what is fiction. But tonight, God is speaking to us through this chapter about truth and about those who distort the truth, and it is a warning about false teachers in the church. And it is really important for our Christian lives, really important. Isn't it great tonight that as we begin this, looking at this passage, we know that we worship a God of truth. A God of truth. We're going to learn about um, these false teachers under four headings. Four headings. We're going to learn about their motives, their message, their methods, and their future. Because I couldn't think of an M to finish that one. <laughs> Tell me afterwards if I missed something obvious there. Um, and tonight, because the chapter is quite long and quite complex, um, what we're going to do, we're not going to go through it verse by verse like we sometimes do, we often do, um, but instead we're going to look at things under those headings and we're going to uh, go around the chapter a little bit, pull out different, um, different things from different verses. So it'd be really helpful if you had the passage open in front of you, ready to look down when I look at um, different verses. And that's partly because don't just trust what I'm saying, look at God's word in front of you. And um, why don't I pray for us, um, for God's help before we begin. Father, thank you so much that you are the God of truth. We've been singing about that already. Thank you that your word is truth. So, Father, our prayer tonight is simple, that 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 truth would be spoken to our hearts really clearly through your Spirit, and it would change the way we live our lives for the Lord Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as we start, have a look down at verse 1. Verse 1 where Peter says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. If you were here last week, you'll have um, heard Will talking us through um, the end of chapter one, uh, where Peter is talking about the truth that was in the Old Testament, the truth that came through God's prophets. But Peter says, actually, there were also false prophets in the Old Testament. And in the same way, there will be false teachers in the church. And actually, that is, that's quite uncomfortable to hear. I don't know if when you walked in tonight and Jason said, we're looking at false teachers uh, tonight, and, and Dave talked about false teachers, or whether you were sitting there thinking, oh, this is not a very positive thing to be talking about. Sometimes it, we don't want to listen to it. Sometimes we don't want to think about it. Sometimes it's for fear of being labeled as judgmental or, or overcritical or divisive or damaging Christian unity. But Peter is really clear that there will be false teachers in the church. And if you were the Home Secretary or the Prime Minister or the head of MI5, you would be foolish to ignore what you are being told about the fact that there are homegrown terrorists or spies in Britain. If you're in that role, it is your job to face the facts and respond in the right way. And God gives us a number of warnings in the New Testament, not just in 2 Peter. Um, Jesus talks about false teachers. For example, Matthew 24 uh, so does John, 1 John 4. Paul talks about it regularly in uh, 2 Timothy 4 and other places. Jude, which is a kind of mirror passage to this one, um, talks about it in detail. And so God really wants us to see this threat. So let's dig down and, and, and find out more about these false teachers. What are their motives? Uh, look again at verse, verse 1. Peter says, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. 
So what is their motive? Well, at the heart of it is that they are denying God. They're rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Jesus who died and rose for them. Uh, that, that is sin, isn't it? Sin, sometimes we explain to the kids, sin is, is shove off God, I'm in charge, not you. And that, that is what they are say, doing. They are denying God. And one of the most um, difficult questions about this passage is, are these false teachers Christians? Or have they ever been Christians? Because on one level, if you read it, it, it sounds like they maybe have been. I, I don't think they are Christians. I don't think they have ever been Christians because I think the Bible is clear that once someone is a Christian, God will keep you. But in some sense, these false teachers have heard the gospel. They have heard some truths about Jesus. They have been around God's people. You see that in the Old Testament, don't you? You see people who were included on some level in, in Israel, part of God's visible people, they, they maybe went to the temple, they maybe knew what God's word was, but they weren't genuine believers. Think of Judas in the New Testament. What happens at the Last Supper when Jesus turns around and he says to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me? The disciples go, which one? <laughs> which one of us? It's, it's not that clear, is it, to them that Judas is, is not a believer, he's not a follower of the Lord Jesus. And it's the same in the church today, that there are lots of people who go to church, who, who maybe work for a church, even lead a church, even lead a denomination, even write Christian books, claim they are Christian, but are not actually part of the people of God. They've heard the gospel, they've read the Bible, they maybe sing the songs, they use the right kind of spiritual language. They are part of what theologians call the visible church, which is the church of, 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 of everyone who puts their hand up and says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I, I go to church. But they're not part of the invisible church, the, the church of true believers that only God can see. And so what is their motive? They, they deny God. They are enemies of God. But Peter also says they have another motive. I wonder if you saw that when we went through the passage, when we read through it earlier. In verse 3, he says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you. Verse 14 says that they are experts in greed and in cursed brood. They have left the straight way and they have wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. Balaam was a, a, a man, uh, had a prophetic gift. He turns up in the book of Numbers. Uh, we don't have time to go into his story, um, but he was basically happy to use um, his gift to try to curse uh, the people of Israel. He wasn't able to do that, um, but he found a way of leading them astray um, for, for an enemy king. Now, why did he do that? He did it in exchange for, for money. He did it out of greed. Peter says the motives of the false teachers are that, to deny God, but also greed. Um, what is their message? What is their message? In verse 1, Peter describes their message as destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. A heresy is, is, is a teaching that, that doesn't teach what the Bible says, but claims to be Christian. So atheism, for example, is not really a heresy because they're not claiming it's, it's Christian. A heresy is something that puts his hand up and says, yeah, this is from the Bible, but actually isn't. Um, so there, there are many heresies around. There have been many heresies through the centuries. So, for example, say someone's saying, yeah, we're Christian. We're a Christian group. Right? We believe the Bible, but we don't believe that Jesus is God. Or we don't believe that Jesus is fully man. Or we don't believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking the punishment for our sin. We don't deny that those who continue to reject Jesus will face God's punishment in eternity. We don't, um, we don't believe that God is in absolute control. 
Uh, we don't believe that, um, that, that, that uh, we don't believe that the Bible is the absolute authority. Maybe they say we don't believe that, um, that, that, that God saves us. We believe that we have to contribute quite a lot to that ourselves, maybe by doing certain things or praying to certain saints. Maybe it's, um, it's a heresy that says, um, do you know what? The, the teachings in the Bible from God about how to live our lives, morality, um, godliness in our lives, actually those don't really matter anymore. Maybe it's a teaching that says that, that what God promises for the new creation, which is uh, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more tears, actually we can have that now. You don't need to suffer as a Christian. There are lots of different heresies. We don't know for sure what the heresy was at the time of Peter. Um, our best guess is that um, from looking at some things in chapter 3, um, that they were claiming that Jesus wouldn't come back. Jesus wouldn't come back. And if he wouldn't come back, then he wouldn't judge people. Um, so look at chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, it says, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Jesus isn't going to come back. And if Jesus isn't going to come back, then, then Christians and non-Christians, you can just do what you want. You can be as immoral as you want. It doesn't matter. They're teaching heresy. Does that matter? Does heresy actually matter? Um, we're, we're in the 21st century, aren't we? Maybe, maybe it's interesting uh, thinking about heresy for intellectual types, for people who like having arguments about philosophy. But, you know, we tolerate ideas, don't we? We respect other people's thinking. We want unity. Uh, you know, as long as people, you know, honestly just want to follow Jesus and they say they would just want to worship Jesus, does it matter? Should we be judging other people? And the answer is, yes, it really does matter, which is why Peter's talking about it. Because it has a huge impact on how a Christian lives their lives. So if, if that is the heresy at the time of Peter, you can see what a massive difference that makes to how a Christian would live their life. If someone is telling them, do you know what? God doesn't need you to follow his laws. God doesn't need you to, 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 to approach sex and relationships in this kind of way. God doesn't need to, you to approach money in this kind of way. It makes a massive difference. And what does Peter say? He uses really strong language in this chapter. Look at verse 1. He says they are introducing destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. One of the biggest fears for the um, security services in Britain is that a terrorist group will be able to break into a water distribution plant and, and secretly put something like rice in into the water supply. I don't want to scare you tonight, but you know, they're, they're, someone's worried about it. Um, and the consequences would be terrible because that would spread, uh, the contamination would spread, and that, uh, often without people knowing it. Um, and that is why water plants are now quite heavily guarded. And false teaching is like that. It is destructive. It will stop people from hearing the gospel, from putting their trust in Jesus, and it will be a terrible influence on the Christians who hear it. It will stop them from growing. In fact, it will lead them away from Jesus. The Jesus who we have been singing about tonight, false teaching, pulls you away from him. There are, um, there are many uh, groups in, in the world uh, at the moment, in 2018, that teach heresy. Sadly, that, that is true. There are lots of people who claim to be Christian or associated with Christianity, lots of cults, lots of other groups who claim to, to be Christian but teach um, heresy. But tonight I want to um, ask a, a question and look at a particular group. Ask the question whether what Peter says about false teachers who teach things that are contrary to the Bible out of greed, 
is relevant for 2018? And the answer is yes. It's not hard to find them. All you need is a remote control and a TV. And access to any of those kind of Sky channels or Virgin Media channels where you, you have the so-called um, uh, Christian, uh, Christian channels um, where lots of the people on there, not everyone, not everyone, but lots of the people on there teach things that are not biblical. They teach what's called the prosperity gospel. They often teach a very dangerous version of it that basically says you don't need to suffer. You don't need to suffer. God doesn't want you to suffer. And if you give a certain amount of money to our ministry, notice that bit, then you will have a bigger house or a better job or just more money. Maybe you'll be healed. Lots of them claim to have the gift of healing at the drop of a hat. Come to our services, donate money to us and whatever is wrong with you will go. You don't need to suffer now as a Christian. You can have all the health and wealth you want. Effectively, what they're saying is, don't worry about Jesus coming back. Don't worry about the new creation. We can sort all that out now. Oh, and by the way, can you, can you give us some money? Doesn't that sound quite similar to what Peter is writing about? A few years ago, I was, um, I was flicking through some channels late at night looking for something to watch. It's a really bad idea. Um, it shows that I should have been doing something better with my time. Um, and I came across um, a film from the early 90s. It's a comedy drama starring Steve Martin called Leap of Faith. I don't know if anyone's ever seen Leap of Faith. Um, and it's, it's quite sad viewing if you're a Christian, even though it's a comedy, um, because it's based on the life of a man called um, Peter Popoff, who was a really well-known televangelist um, and so-called miracle worker, miracle healer in the 1980s. Um, and he was exposed on TV, live on TV, um, by people who had gone to his, his healing crusades, um, and they'd, they'd managed to, to find out um, that when he was claiming to know uh, information about people, um, miraculously, actually, he was doing it because he had an earpiece in and his wife was feeding him information from behind the stage. Um, and he was, he was exposed. He was completely exposed as an absolute fraud. But he didn't go away. <laughs> so you can still get hold of his material. You can still find him online. You can still watch him on TV. And that led, in 2008, Ofcom, the regulator, to say this. It warned UK broadcasters about transmitting any of Popos' material which the regulator felt promoted his products in such a way as to target potential susceptible and vulnerable viewers. Oh, and by the way, they worked out that Popoff was getting paid a million pounds a year from his ministry. Now, doesn't that make you sad? Doesn't that make you, you angry? Because that is the name of Jesus that is being held up in support of his ministry. That is the word of God, the Bible, that he is holding up to support what he is doing, which is a complete fraud. In 2007, the U.S. Senate Committee on Finance announced it was investigating the TV ministries of Benny Hinn, Paula White, Eddie Long, Joyce Meyer, Creflo Dollar, and Kenneth Copeland. This is what they said. They said the allegations involve governing boards that aren't independent, allow generous salaries and housing allowances, and amenities such as private jets and Rolls Royces. Biggest church in the world is in South Korea. Hundreds of thousands of people go to it. It teaches a prosperity gospel like all these people I've been talking about. And the leaders have recently been accused by the government of um, embezzling millions of dollars from the church. I could spend all night going through the depressing details of this. But it is clear, isn't it, that what Peter was talking about 2,000 years ago is absolutely relevant for 2018. It's so bad that TV programs and Hollywood and the US Senate and Ofcom are all concerned about it. 
These things aren't just in TV, going to uh, lots of Christian bookshops, and you will find these, find these things. Books by, people, by, by the people I've mentioned on the shelves there, next to some really good authors. So you've got your Tim Keller there, but you've also got these, these other guys there. And I asked one of these bookshop owners once, I said, why are you stocking these books? Because they were a godly Christian. And they said, well, because well, Christians keep on coming in and asking to buy them. <laughs> I think that's really sad. I was thinking about it this week, and this is what I think it comes down to. False teachers rob people. These false teachers, they rob people. They rob people of their money. But more than that, they rob people of their joy in Christ. They rob people of their confidence in God's word and his promises. They rob people of their foundation as Christians. They rob people of their hope in the new creation to come. They are stealing spiritually from these Christians. And that is what makes Peter so angry. And I think it should make us angry too. It's just one example of of false teaching in the world today. There, There are many. And third thing, what is their method? What is their method? We looked at their motives and their message. What is their method? Um, verse 1, Peter says that it is done secretly. So this is how it's not going to work. Okay? It'd be lovely if it worked like this, but it's not going to work like this. Next Sunday morning, we have the hosting team out there. Someone's out there. Mark's out there doing hosting. Or one of his team's out there. And three people turn up we haven't seen before. And the hosting team say, oh, hi, who are you? Where did you come from? What do you do? And they go, oh, we're all teachers, actually. And they say, oh, what do you do? And one of them goes, oh, I'm Phil. I, I teach geography. One of them says, hi, I'm Sarah. I teach, I teach maths. One of them says, hi, I'm Brian. I teach heresy. But that, that'd be brilliant if that happened. And then the hosting team could just deal with it. But that isn't the way, that really isn't the way it works. They do it in secret. It's subtle. It's clever. It's deceptive. It will claim that it's from the Bible. They will sing some of the same songs as we do. They will use language that we are often familiar with. Last night, I watched, um, in preparation for this sermon, I watched the most watched sermon on YouTube. The most watched sermon on, on the internet, apparently. And, uh, and it was, um, millions of people have watched this. Isn't that great? Millions of people have watched this Christian sermon. And, uh, and it's so popular that Oprah Winfrey actually retweeted it and said, this sermon has changed my life. This Christian sermon. Isn't that great? Uh, and you watch the first minute of it, and the guy, this is from a church called Lakewood in, in America, which has about 40,000 people attending on a Sunday. It's great, isn't it? Um, and the, the guy um, who was preaching, uh, he held up his Bible at the start. He asked everyone to hold up their Bibles. And he said, say after me. Say after me, I will, and it was something like, uh, today we're going to hear from God's word. And everyone said that. And he went, amen. And they all sat down. And you thought, oh, yeah, all right. In the next 30 minutes of his sermon, it was 30 minutes long. This is the most watched sermon, Christian sermon on YouTube. How many times did he mention the name of Jesus? Never. At no point in the most watched Christian sermon on the internet was Jesus mentioned. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? And the bits where the Bible was mentioned were few and far between and were massively out of context. It wasn't a Christian sermon. The most watched Christian sermon on the internet is not a Christian sermon. It's not Christian. And yet, if you watch the first minute of it, you think, wow, they're talking about the Bible, singing some of the same songs as we are. They're in a church building. It happens secretly, doesn't it? That's part of their method. Uh, Verse uh, 3 says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. They're not just, just distorting God's word. They're making up their own things. God has given us creativity, hasn't he? 
That's, that's a good thing. Uh, but sometimes we can use that creativity to deceive people. That's not always bad. Um, April Fools uh, is a good example of that, um, where you can fool people. Uh, I don't know what your favorite April Fools um, uh, story is. Um, do you remember the one about the spaghetti? Spaghetti trees, um, the BBC spaghetti trees, some people remember it. Um, and they completely fooled a lot of people, uh, the spaghetti tree crisis in Italy. Um, but here's my favorite one. Um, this is uh, Waitrose um, advert. Um, bananas, um, fresh in today, exclusive to Waitrose. Um, if you happen to find that when you go to Waitrose, they're sold out, don't worry, there's 50% off all essential Waitrose strawberries. Um, you know, the, the April Fool's, that, that's good fun, isn't it? But this isn't. Verse 13, Peter says this. Their idea of pleasure is to crowd in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. It's really negative, isn't it? A really negative description. It shows how God feels about it. But verse 14, they seduce the unstable. So they use this creativity to deceive the unstable. They target the unstable. Which Christians are going to be the most unstable? They're the Christians that are most likely to accept false teaching. And who are they? Well, I think we can, we, we can think about which groups might be most susceptible. So, for example, uh, I think of new Christians. You've got someone who's, who's a new Christian. They, 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 they've maybe heard the gospel. They've maybe come along through a friend. They've maybe, um, maybe someone comes to the quiz night in a few weeks' time and they hear um, someone talking about it or they hear Gavin Peacock at, at that event talking about it. They come along to church. They talk to their friend. They become a Christian. They, they understand that Jesus died for them and rose again. They understand that they're a sinner. They're passionate. But actually, they don't have very much background. They don't have very much depth. So actually, they're susceptible then, aren't they? That is why if you're an older Christian in the room, a more mature Christian, it's one of your jobs, isn't it? To look out for those people, the new Christians, to teach them, to support them, to get alongside them. That's why groups, um, uh, the, the kids' groups and the youth groups here are so important. Not just, not just so that um, we, we pray that we would see kids come to faith in Jesus, but so that they would get their foundation sorted really early on. New Christians, because if not, I think another group is just Christians who are not very well taught. The, 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 the teaching at their church might be really shallow. Or maybe the teaching is okay, or, or is quite good, but they've personally not bothered investing in studying God's word for themselves. They've just kept their, their, their Christian kind of uh, um, life at a really shallow level. Because if you don't know God's word, how will you spot it when someone else comes in and distorts God's word? Because they're not going to wear a t-shirt saying, I'm a heretic. They're not. They're going to say, oh yeah, no, I believe the word of God. I absolutely believe this thing. You need to have those foundations in place. They target the unstable. Look down at verse 17 to see what else they do. Verse 17, these people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is slave to what has mastered him. One of the methods of the false teachers is to offer people something. And what they seem to be offering here is freedom. Freedom to do whatever you want. Freedom to not follow God's laws. You can carry on sinning. 
Verse 18, they appeal to the lustful desires of the flesh. That's a good strategy, isn't it? Because we're sinners. So if someone comes along and says, oh, do you know what? You've misunderstood the Bible. Actually, God doesn't need you to, to you know, uh, deal with relationships and, and things like that in that kind of way. Then that's going to appeal to us. But actually, their teaching is based on nothing. Verse 17, these people are springs without water. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus did? We stood up uh, at the last and greatest day of the feast and he said, come to me if you want living water. And the false teachers do the same. They say, come to us if you want living water. But actually, their springs are dry. (laughs) They don't have anything. Verse 18, they mouth empty, boastful words. There's nothing there. They offer a lot, but all they can actually do is lead us away from Jesus and towards sin and darkness and despair and disobedience. And isn't that what the very first false teacher did? Do you know the very first false teacher appears in Genesis chapter 3 in the form of a serpent? And what does he do? It seems like he is saying to Eve, actually, um, let me help you understand what, what God said. God didn't really say that. God doesn't really mean that. This is what God really means. He's distorting the words of God. And he offers her freedom. He says, look, you don't don't need to do that. You can make up the rules. You can decide what is right and wrong. You You can eat of any tree in the garden. He offers her freedom. But as the story pans out, you you realize that that it's not freedom at all, is it? It's not freedom. That is it. That's their methods. Now, all of this, I think, should make us really angry. Generally, when I uh, when I um, when I preach a sermon. I, even if it's a really complicated passage or it's a hard passage or it's, or it's a really busy week, I get to the end of prepping the sermon and I'm encouraged. I think, wow, that, you know, that, that's really encouraging or, or I'm just personally challenged but I can see you know, what, it, what, what impact it's going to have on my life. This is one of those sermons where if you've, if, if you've spent quite a lot of time this week thinking about it, it just makes you angry. <laughs> just makes you angry. How are they getting away with this? And Peter has the answer. He says they're not going to get away with it. And we don't really need to rely on Ofcom or the US Senate to deal with them. Look back at verse 1. It says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Verse one, in verse 1, Peter says very clearly the future of the false teachers, if they continue doing what they are doing, is destruction. It's destruction. Verse 3, their condemnation has long been hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. He says, look, this truth is taught really clearly through the Bible. Okay, sometimes God delays this. Sometimes God in his mercy is delaying this. But God always punishes evil and sin. Let me back that up with some examples from the Old Testament. And so he gives us three examples. Verse 4, he says the angels who rebelled against God, well, they're being held for the final judgment. Verse 5, uh, in, in Noah's time, the people sinned against God. And what happened? The flood came in judgment. Verse 6, Sodom and Gomorrah, filled with sin, disobeying God. And what happened? Judgment came. And so the evidence is there. God punishes sin. Peter says, look, God punishes evildoers and he saves the righteous. He saves his people. He will protect his people like Noah, like Lot. Verse 12, Peter continues with this theme. He says, brute beasts, creatures of instincts, born only to be caught and destroyed. Like beasts, they too will perish. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. 
Verse 17, black as darkness is reserved for them. Verse 22, of all the Proverbs, of, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. It's violent language, isn't it? It's horrible language. But he says that's how terrible it is when someone who has had the opportunity to study what the Bible actually says teaches something that is, that is false, maybe out of greed or, or, or for another reason, and actually is an enemy of God. Peter says, look, Jesus, who they are denying, is going to come back. And who did Jesus say he was? He said he was the way, he said he was the life, he said he was the truth. And the ultimate true teacher is going to deal with the false teachers. He will come back to judge them. And he'll judge them because the false teaching is so bad because it leads people away from him. Because our only hope is in the great truths of the gospel and the things they tell us about Jesus. False teaching pulls our gaze from Jesus. It robs us of the joy that we have in God and his promises. So what does it mean for us? Um, As we finish, um, let me talk about three challenges. Three challenges and one encouragement. Here's challenge number one. Build your foundations. Build your foundations. Make sure you are looking to go deeper and deeper into God's word. Please don't be one of those people who says, well, I'm a practical Christian. Um, I I, I love worshiping Jesus. I'm all about the relationship with God and living for him, but theology isn't for me. I'm I'm not a theologian. Everyone is a theologian. (laughs) Everyone's a theologian. A theology is just a particular understanding of God, who God is, and how God relates to us. So Richard Dawkins is a theologian. The false teachers are theologians. You are a theologian. The question is, is your theology based in God's word? God wants you to grow in your understanding of what the Bible teaches, of what he's saying. And that will protect you from being drawn away by false teaching. I was watching a, a documentary a few days ago, uh, and it was, uh, it was about the RNLI, and, um, and I've always wanted to be on a lifeboat, but I've never lived by the sea, so that's been a, yeah, that's been a slight hindrance to me joining a lifeboat crew. Um, and uh, I was watching this, and, and they went out to a, um, a sailboat, a, a yacht or something like that, I don't know very much about boats, um, but, the, but this, it was in the middle of a storm, and, um, and it had been battered around, and the, the sail had come down, the mast had come down, the rudder had come off, and it was drifting, just drifting. And it was um, being blown here, there, and everywhere. But on the whole, it was being blown towards the rocks. And the lifeboat got there just in time and rescued them. And isn't that the kind of image that Paul has in mind when he says in Ephesians 4 verse 14 uh, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. You need your foundations. Don't be be laid back about this. Because good theology, going into depth on this kind of thing, is going to protect you from false teaching. But also, as well as protecting you from false teaching, delving into good theology, studying God's word, looking at what the great thinkers of church history have said, not just stepping back and saying, I'm not really an academic Christian, that's not really what I'm interested in. Those things develop your knowledge and experience of God. Now, I can say that. I can say that from my personal experience, the more I've gone into this, the more I've read about it, the more I've listened, the more I've thought through, it has helped me grow as a Christian. Those times where I've gone, do you know what, I can't be bothered to read Christian books, that, that hasn't helped me grow as a Christian. 
my generation, I don't think it's, it's particularly good at it. I think if you look back um, over the decades, I think um, that I go back to my grandmother's den, uh, generation and I look at her Bible. She knew her Bible so well. <laughs> she knew her Bible so well, so much better than I do. Uh, Jim Packer, who um, is a great Christian theologian and writer, who wrote the book Knowing God, he said this. He said, doctrine leads to doxology and devotion. Doctrine leads to doxology and devotion. What does that mean? He means theology, finding out what God says in his word, working out what does God say about this, what does God say about that, what does the Bible teach about all these different things. It doesn't just lead to head knowledge. It leads to doxology. It leads to worship. Because how can you spend time looking at what God's word says and studying the person of God, finding out more about God and what God wants for us, and how can that not lead you to worship God more? How can that not lead you to have more joy in Christ? It's not separated from it. It's not like a different thing that's off over there. So why not commit, if you're someone who normally doesn't do this, to maybe asking one of the ministry team or your life group leader, saying, hey, have you got a good book that you've read recently? A good Christian book that, that you can recommend? Or maybe saying to someone else, saying, hey, why don't we read a book together? Just like read a chapter a week, a couple of chapters a week, talk about it on a Sunday. That's why the, um, the, the words uh, to the world course is such a good thing. It's why it was so encouraging to see that, um, uh, that Trev had, had said about those books, those books on Exodus a few weeks ago. So many people had said, yeah, I want one. That's brilliant. And you'll see your joy in Christ grow. Here's the second challenge, second of three. Look out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look out for them. Look out for them being pulled away from gospel truths. Pray for them, speak to them. feels really confrontational, doesn't it? And a bit judgmental. But actually, it's the loving thing to do. As you see people drift, get involved. I know a couple of people in this church who've done that recently. They have, they've got a friend, a Christian friend, and they've gone, do you know what? They're drifting. We're going to get involved. And here's the third challenge, is to pray for the elders in this church. Pray for the elders. In Acts 20, Paul says goodbye to the elders of the Ephesians church, and this is what he says. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. If you're an elder here tonight, that's your role. You've got a massive responsibility to guard the teaching in this church. And to guard the flock, to guard the people here. So for the rest of us, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them as they do that. And thank God for the good job that they do. Such an important role. And here's the encouragement as we finish. Here's the encouragement. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. From creation to the day of judgment, God has his hand on everything that happens. So he was at work in the Old Testament. He was at work at the time of Peter. He's at work now. And he promises to keep his church safe. He promises to keep you, if you're a Christian, safe. Nothing can take us out of God's mighty hand. Paul, Peter um, warns us about false teachers in this chapter, but by doing that, he says, look, God knows what's going to happen. God knows the future. God knows what's going to happen in 2,000 years' time in Chessington. God knows all these things. God knows about all those people on the TV who are distorting the gospel. I'm warning you about them, but I'm also telling you what's going to happen to them, that there will be justice, They will face justice. But God also wants us to know tonight that he's sovereign. 
He's going to keep his church. He's going to accomplish his promises. And that he is the God of truth. Let me pray for us as we finish.